Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, head to www.sexedwithdb.com and buy some of our hot new merch. Follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast. And if you want to advertise with us, shoot us an email at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. In today's episode, I get to know Adiba Khan. Adiba is a reproductive justice activist and a recent sociology and public health graduate of UC Berkeley. Go Bears! As a student at Berkeley, Adiba spearheaded a student movement called Campus Action for Reproductive Equity, aka Just Care, in support of California legislation she co-authored to implement medication abortion in all California public university student health centers. Her bill became law in 2019. Get excited for an awesome combo with Adiba. Ever wish your period products were more eco-friendly? Tired of buying a $10 box of tampons every single month? Meet the OGs of sustainable menstruation, Isle. In business since 1993, their collection of smart reusables is easy on the planet and good for your body. Check out their amazing undies, reusable pads, and cups at www.periodisle.com and use promo code SEXEDDB to get 20% off your first purchase. Follow them on IG at Periodile. Ever wish you had an exact replica of your gorgeous parts? Well, now you can make one yourself thanks to Clonawilly. Clonawilly and Clonapussy are DIY molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva at home into a high quality sex toy or memento. Use promo code SEXED20 for 20% off your purchase at www.clonawilly.com. Follow them on Instagram at clonawillykit. FemFun is a family-owned and operated brand of adult pleasure products centered around the belief that all intimate curiosities and fantasies should be explored with full confidence. With that in mind, and a mission to break sex toy taboos, they launched a movement coined Fempowerment committing to the human desire to explore new experiences. Embrace the vibrations. Use promo code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your purchase at www.femfun.com. That's www.femmefunn.com. Follow them on IG at FemFun. Here's your PSA about why masturbation is so amazing. Number one, it's safe. No one ever got pregnant or an STI when having sex with themselves. Number two, it's normal. Most people do it. Number three, it has actual health benefits. Besides making you feel like the best version of yourself by boosting self-esteem and creating a more body positive outlook, masturbation is also correlated to better sexual functioning overall. And number four, it's an incredible learning experience to figure out what you like with or without a partner along for the ride. This PSA has been brought to you by Sweet Vibes. Go to www.sweetvibe.toys and use promo code SEXWITHDB to get 15% off your first purchase. Follow them on Instagram, at Sweet Vibrations. Want to get your birth control with free delivery? Well, now you can with Pandia Health. 
Pandia Health makes our lives easier by bringing you birth control wherever you have internet and a mailbox. If you have a prescription, you can move it to their pharmacy and get your birth control delivered. If you don't have one, you can have their expert birth control doctors write you one. Find out more at www.pandiahealth.com. That's P-A-N-D-I-A health.com. And use code SEXEDDB to get $5 off your first telehealth appointment. Follow them on Instagram at Pandia Health. Adiba, welcome to the podcast today. How you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm glad to have you. Thank you so much for uh, making time out of your busy quarantine schedule. I know we got a <laughs> lot of things going on from Tiger King to, uh, you know, a lot of things out there uh, to do. Have you seen Tiger King yet? Yes, um, I just started watching it and uh, crazy enough, so I actually Google mapped where the zoo is oh and it's 45 God. minutes drive for where for my parents' house. Oh so. <laughs> my God, you need to, once quarantine is over, go out there and I do something. And, like, Top of the priority list. Oh my God, thank God. Wow. <laughs> what a series um by the time this airs people will have already seen tiger king like three or four Completely. times already yeah <laughs> um but fantastic cannot wait for you to finish um and to debrief with you how insane it is um let's get us started by you telling us your name uh your pronouns and how you identify whatever that means to you Sure, absolutely. So, um, my name is Adiba Khan. I go by she, her, hers. And I suppose I identify as a Bangladeshi American. And I think I would also call myself a reproductive justice activist, too. Love it. Um, okay, so let's just dive right into your work. Um, you were one of the co-founders of Students United for Reproductive Justice, which is Surge at UC mm-hmm. Berkeley. Um, can you share the story of your experience and background that led you to the founding of this group? Um, what does it do and who has it served? Yeah, absolutely. So as we just mentioned, Tiger King. Um, <laughs> Tiger King is in Oklahoma. So I am from Oklahoma. I've uh, lived here essentially since I was three um, and before I moved to California for college. So being in Oklahoma, particularly during my formative years when I was a teen girl, I started actually noticing um, what the lack of access to reproductive health care in general and then particularly um, family planning services look like. So there were oftentimes a lot of girls in my high school If they were pregnant, they were just essentially pushed out by the school, not really given any support or just dropped out entirely. And then I've also had peers who have wanted to access an abortion, um, but were not able to get that in time. And so were forced into situations that they didn't want to. And that was terrifying. Um, Also terrifying for me, too, in the case that when I was in high school, if I needed an abortion myself, I truly did not know what I would have done. I don't even like to think about that, but that fear um, is something that got me interested um, in wanting to work in that type of aspect. So whenever I moved to California, um, I went to UC Berkeley and I was in California and then also with California having a very liberal connotation behind it, and it is in so many aspects. And so when I first started school, I didn't think that access to abortion even was an issue for anybody, Mm -hmm. um, just because I thought somehow that just having the right in terms of the law and not really having many barriers in terms of, you know, quote unquote, legal access that somehow equated to just access in general. 
And so then I found out as um, my freshman year towards the end of that, that there are students uh, who, you know, went to Cal who tried to access abortion care through our student health center. Um, the Tang the- Center worked there. Yes. Go Bears. Yes. <laughs> Love the oh, Tang. Oh, you used to work there? I did, yeah. Like oh, when I was a, when I was Wait, a sophomore. At, when I was a sophomore at Cal, yeah. Whoa, that's okay. That's really wild. Okay, this is going to be great. Yes. And <laughs> Shout so out to the Tang Center. You, <laughs> as you, I have such um, complicated feelings towards the health administration of the Tang Center, which oh, we will talk sure. about. Yeah. In I a mean, little I just bit. worked at the front desk, you know, just tried to get some work study, but totally right. down, totally <laughs> down to talk about their shortcomings. <laughs> but yes, as you like may have known, whenever you were also a student at Cal, the Tang Center provided pretty decent, comprehensive reproductive health care yeah. in time, in, excuse me, um, terms of I think all 18 forms of contraception, like, you know, you could get any of those. But for some reason, um, something as simple as like a medication abortion, which is just the the pills, um, were things that they were not able to provide themselves. And so seeing students try to access care and then uh, essentially have a, a myriad of different barriers, such as like financial, logistical, and then also academic ones, just because... I mean, college in general, I know like Cal was very intensive and every single hour you have is a very precious hour. Mm-hmm. So students trying to get care outside of campus, um, like looking at a surface level, it didn't seem like it was too hard because because there are community clinics. But then looking at all of the other factors, such as um, scheduling an appointment, the time that you have as a student also like, you know, I also did. I worked as a student, too your schedule is very limited. And then it being combined with being such a time sensitive situation. Um, I do know students who were, let's say they wanted to access a medication abortion, but were forced um, too like late into their pregnancy, or I should say too late into their pregnancy, but were pushed past the period where you're eligible for that service. So all of those things, I actually started to realize that, oh, so having a right or having just a law on your side is definitely not enough um, in terms of accessing care on a timely basis. And so all of that is to say that this is when me and uh, a few of my other friends decided, okay, what does it mean to actually do something about this? And uh, we decided to just start a student organization um, in the scope of reproductive justice that did not exist on on campus at that time, which was wild to me. But so we organized to start it. And then that became our first project. What can we do um, to help students get access to abortion care actually at the Student Health Center? Amazing. And up until this point, like who? So how how long has it been? So you said since you were a freshman. So is that like around five years ago? Um. Uh, that it it was created yes okay so how many people like have you I don't know if you know these stats but like how many people have like utilized the services since then like what are the services like really look like on the ground like who is it primarily and exclusively for Cal students like what is that what's like the makeup of who's using it um, so to clarify, who's using um, abortion services or just services in general at the Tang Center in terms oh, of reproductive health care? Good question. I guess I'm catering the question towards like abortion services. Um, yes. So, you know, there is actually a study that was done um, about the entire public university system. 
And uh, I don't remember the exact numbers, and so I'm going to estimate. So they, um, so there's two different types of data that we got, like one from the, the tank center. And so they said to us, and this is a questionable, like in terms of the administration, the health administration telling mm-hmm. us, like who actually tries to access care. Um, the number was like 50 students in like one entire school year, which we thought was probably what? lower than 50. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. So that's the number that they gave us. And that probably is, I don't think that they were lying to us. But I think the reality is, is that considering the Tang Center didn't even provide abortion, I just imagine that students didn't even try to go there in the first place. Right. Um, they'd probably just go to Planned Parenthood or another place that they can get it. But I've, uh, I, I'd imagine that that number was definitely not a realistic assessment of what's going on. Um, so yeah, that's a number they gave us. But and, um, and that's an entire year. So we actually had, this is later on as the campaign um, progressed, but there was the University of California, San Francisco did a study for the entire California public university system. So the University of California system, and then also the California State University system. So that's around, I believe, 30, 36 universities together. And they were saying that, um, I think it's a... Uh, you know, I, uh, I don't remember if this was a month or for a year, so I probably shouldn't even cite the data, but I remember <laughs> the, like, the number 500 okay. um, came up, and I don't know if that was a month or for an entire, like, school semester. It's <laughs> a very big that's difference. still so small, though. Like, 500, like, presumably women identifying people seeking abortion services, um, which I'm sure there are other folks who are trans and gender non-conforming and we want to mm-hmm. be inclusive but predominantly I think that number represents women and 36 universities even in a month like if you think about how many people are having sex in college like that's a lot <laughs> right. of people those that's like hundreds and thousands of students um so I'm yeah I'm just surprised but like you said maybe it's that you know universities notoriously have not been known for safe and accessible places for students to seek abortion services there. Yeah, exactly. But definitely the number that Cal was giving us was definitely lower than I believe like the actual need for it. Um, And so that study definitely solidified, okay, like, you know, there's 500 students and I think actually it is, I'm thinking about that is the number that they assessed would be in the case that if all of the universities did provide it, that mm. would be like how many students trying to get care. And so I actually think that is um, not for an entire school year, but for one month. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. That makes more sense. Yes. <laughs> um, so how did your group surge work to advocate for abortion access on campus? For example, like with legislators or other activist groups like how did you use social media did you like involve the greek system like what did this look like on the ground yeah yeah so there is definitely two stages um so in um, a summary um this campaign started off with just trying to get uc berkeley's so the tang center um to convince the health administration there that they should provide the service so that's what it started off as so what it looked like was me in the beginning, just kind of on my own going to the Ting Center to identify like correct staff and their opinions on it. And so from there, 
I was advised um, by actually um, a, a sex educator at the Tang Center. Her name's uh, um, Robin Mills. I'm going to give her a plug because she did the sex education program at Cal and she was really great. She was like the first person I spoke with on this. Nice. And so she basically said to just build a case for why it's actually important. Is it clear that students need it? And like, how loud is that message? And so that was kind of the overall strategy for what my club wanted to go for in terms of proving that this is important. Mm -hmm. And so the way that we went about it was something just as simple as being outside on campus in a popular area and just getting petitions um, of students who care about this. And so just in one week, I remember... Um, in the very beginning, like there were a thousand students, there were actually students who signed it who didn't even go to Cal, but went to other schools too, who thought this was important. Great. The more the merrier. Uh, Exactly. And so that was when we we did it. And then the other way, just in terms of trying to gauge how do we get publicity on this? Like, how does this become a conversation that the entire campus um, knows about was I thought, okay, I should try to leverage the uh, power and visibility that our student government has. And so you may be familiar with the ASUC, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's uh, Cal's student government. And so our tactic was, okay, let's just write a student legislation, so a a resolution, essentially being in support of this measure. The student government cannot force the health center to provide care. Mm -hmm. They, They don't have the power to do that, but they do have the power to at least like recommend um, something that is very important. So essentially this resolution urged Ting Center, you should provide medication abortion as a service. Um, so wrote that, got a student senator to sponsor it. And fortunately, um, all of the students in the student senate voted unanimously on it, which was which was great. And this is how we got um, earned media attention. So our school newspaper, The Daily Cal, covered it. And even to the point, just because, you know, for a lot of people, regardless of how, even if you're like in support of abortion, seeing something like kind of for seeing something that is, I guess, this quote unquote progressive, like trying to get a student health center, like almost um, to provide abortion, it's still like definitely like a big story. And um, right, no, it's huge. Controversial, um, regardless of if you're in California or not. Right. So. I remember the SF Chronicle covered it and maybe like the East Bay Express too. So it even received on that level uh, media attention. So at this point is when I made the ask to, oh, and then I also remember our group, um, we wrote an op-ed. So those are like the different tactics that we tried to use to get our health administration to see like, okay, this is a really important issue and a lot of people care about it. That plus, I think the graduate students also had their own student government, basically passed a resolution um, in in that body as well. Plus, there was a petition of professors, too, because they have a level of power, obviously, being professors. And so we were just trying to cover all their bases. Like, do professors support this? Undergrad students support this? Graduate students support this? And there's um, media attention as well on the issue. So we use that to leverage just getting a meeting with their health administration, mm-hmm. um, which was good. That was definitely a way in. And so after that, they were essentially receptive to having a dialogue over it. But from the get go, we could see that this, um, they were, while they kept using the rhetoric of, you know, we're pro-choice, um, we support, um, you know, a woman's right to choose, which, oh my God, that really bothers me when that's like continuously the messaging. And it's like, that's great. So let's 
let's um so let's like see that right and so you have the power to make access um happen like literally here considering you are the health administration right um, health insurance covers abortion as well so why oh, it not does. just it did yeah it, it does it did cover it um and why the so, hell wouldn't they be already offering it exactly and really the under the implicit understanding is is that it's much easier to just avoid providing it entirely and just have it you know just takes make students go um to a clinic in itself to go get it even though given the fact that it is you know surgical abortion is really simple and so is medication abortion they i mean the health center literally inserts iud's which is definitely more complex right um so they definitely have the ability to provide it but it definitely seems that they would just rather avoid um, the association. I think primarily because of stigma. So right. yeah, they were not down for that. So uh, that was the beginning of the school campaign. And then I remember it essentially became just to summarize, like how it transitioned out from a school campaign to like a statewide campaign. Um, we uh, were tasked with so the health administration started telling us that, okay, you know, we can make this happen, but you need to get us money. <laughs> I'm like, okay. What? I mean, yeah. Like, it's like, wait, can you not just provide the service? Like already with health insurance, it's like you are all already getting um, reimbursed for the care that you provide because we have health insurance. Mm-hmm. So it didn't make sense what they meant exactly by that. So they did a cost analysis their cost analysis estimate for implementing a service in itself. So that's like, you know, getting equipment or let's say training some providers um, or rearranging whatever their logistical schedule is for this. That would cost just like $15,000 to do that. And it's like a one-time cost. Mm -hmm. So that is something that I believe like a school in itself can definitely be able to cover. Oh, for sure. Especially like Cal. But um, they said that, you know, actually we need to do a cost analysis on security. And so they leveraged the threat of, let's say like, you know, anti-choicers who have like violent tendencies, um, who may come to the campus health center and try to, whoa, sorry, that's thunder. I don't know if you oh, just Oh, damn. That was thunder? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's crazy. crazy. <laughs> Oh my god, anyway. the gods are opening up and being like, and this is what happened with abortion. <laughs> yeah. I was like, great timing. Like, oh God's my god. on my side. That's so funny. <laughs> anyway, I lost my train of thought. What was I just saying? <laughs> You're talking about like all the costs that, you know, would be associated with these things. Yes. Okay. yes. So it essentially became a game, like a back and forth game that our health administration provided. Oh, and I would like to also add is that our health administration that we ha- um, spoke to, like the three three of them, they're all like older white women. And, right. you know, you think that like, okay, yeah, y'all are women. And, and so therefore that'll be enough. But Was Diane like, yeah. one of them? Uh, I don't think Maybe so. Maybe not. She, she, Diane was someone who I worked for, but she kind of ran like the desk situation. So I don't know if she would be yeah. in on that meeting, but she's also an older white woman. <laughs> anyway. No, she, probably, she may have like worked there, but I don't remember okay. that name. Continue. Um, but yes, three, uh, like, um, I would say like 60 plus okay. um, white women who were, who were in charge of the administration. So... Anyway, yeah, so they started playing a game with us. Uh, they probably have a different spin on it, but this is definitely what it felt like. Right. So they gave us a cost analysis for how much it would cost to have actual added security 
um, for the service. And so they leveraged the, you know, the unknown possibility that there could be violence against us. And it's hard to, I guess, kind of argue against that because it's like, of course, definitely want to take staff and student safety seriously. But let's not like forget that we were in California. And then the other thing is, is that in the Bay Area, like Planned Parenthood don't even deal with this level of threat. And if a Planned Parenthood is dealing with that, it's hard. Obviously, I would never say like never, but they don't really have issues with um, protesters who are maybe they have people who like go outside, but no one is trying to, I think, actually like harm, harm staff or people who, at least to my understanding, I haven't seen any of that in the news in the past like five years that I was living in California. Right. But like you said, like when you're negotiating, you have to like take that, you know, you have to take that as seriously as they do or else they won't even entertain, you know. Exactly. And that's, yeah, exactly. So um, even though we made the points of like, you know, you're a student health center, like you provide, you know, you provide flu shots, like you provide things that are very like Mm non-controversial at a primary health care center. So um, that also, I think, helps the case with, I wouldn't expect that, or I wouldn't have to worry too much about it. But obviously, like, okay, fine, it's fair to have some higher level of security. The the Tang Center is a really porous building. There's a lot of different entrances. It's not hard to get in. Um, so, okay, I can see why perhaps one thing that they wanted was like um, ID readers. So like you can't enter the student health center. It's like kind of like the gym. Like if you want to access the gym, you have to scan your student ID. Right. Able to be let in, which is like, I mean, it is only for students anyway. So that actually doesn't seem like a bad idea if, if you want, if you, if that is needed. So, but what they wanted, so they wanted a publicity officer, like a salary publicity officer oh, for this. Oh, no, that's not the same. Yeah, so they were just putting a lot of costs. So that, I mean, UC Berkeley doesn't need any more publicity officers. It's like, just use one of the ones you already have for everything right. else. <laughs> um, and then they also wanted more security. And then they essentially wanted to modernize the building and we're putting those costs on us. So like for key card readers, um, more cameras, all of that, and I believe the estimate for what that bill looked like was um, around $150,000. I should be exact. (laughs) That is so wild. That's super fucked up that they're like, okay, you want access to abortion, which is a super necessary, like, thing, especially for college people, like, then you're going to have to pay up. Yeah, and um, somehow, like, we can't get that money on our own um because i mean i think technically the building really should have modernized on its own because other buildings already have and so that's like a university expense but they were just kind of putting it on oh you all have to essentially pay for this and it's definitely a tactic to essentially stop us but um and i believe it was actually for a span of two years um, it was two hundred and forty thousand dollars, wow. <laughs> which is wild. Um, keep in mind that again, like the actual cost of implementing the service was fifteen thousand. Mm-hmm. So that's a really big shift. There is something that happened at Cal that, um, that is, is called a wellness fee. So essentially, it's students voted to tax themselves to pull a lot of money into a wellness fund, and then student groups can apply with proposals for projects to improve student wellness. And so Surge decided to apply for a grant to be able to get all the money that was necessary for the Tang Center. And we actually did get her $240,000. Oh, shit. Through the wellness grant? 
Yeah, they gave it to us. That's um, amazing. Pretty cool students on that. They're like, yeah, you know, if that's what they want, then we'll give it. We have that money. And so that was great. And I thought, okay, fantastic. Like we gave them everything that they needed. And so I believe that our health administration was very surprised that we got that yeah, money. Yeah, I'm sure they were. <laughs> and so their next response was, okay, well, we need to ask university administration. This is a decision that we can't actually do now. We have to get them on board as well. Oh, okay, fine. Oh, God. So then it ended up being a conversation with the university administration, which, as you can imagine, it gets older and wider. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, I remember, like, a British person being there, and I was, like, with a thick accent. I'm like, why are you university administration? <laughs> was one of my thoughts. I was like, okay. All right. <laughs> Very confusing. <laughs> but anywho, yes. And so, yeah, it was primarily like a huge group of um, much older white folks. And then like me, like the one um, woman of color. And then I remember the graduate student president at the time, who's a black woman. So it was just like us two who were POC. And then like um, everybody else was older right. and uh, right. <laughs> um, so that's like how this decision making was going down. And so... They essentially told us that they'd have to do another cost analysis because they're very much scared of, again, you know, the threat of violence, um, losing their funding, all of those things that I don't think that were really like something that they were actually concerned about, but leveraged as a point um, to deny the to service. So essentially, they their final cost analysis for us, which was also like the last meeting we had um, in terms of campaign um, at. At, on, on the school level was uh, that they were requesting five million dollars like actually to make this happen what? and I never got a budget breakdown <laughs> I never got that I would be very curious to see the line by line of like wait how does this yeah, add up to what? it's like we got two hundred and forty thousand dollars which is crazy I think in itself and also unnecessary but all right we have that so I don't know how it went from 240k to five million but yeah wow. that's how it went down so at that point I remember feeling oh my god like I don't even know this is already after a span of a year and a half of you know negotiations oh so at uh, this point you were a junior um uh, let's see was I I think yes yeah I was already a junior in college so wow okay <laughs> experience like oh yeah has gone by Fortunately, really the earned media attention came very much through with us. So we were able to, Surge was able to get connected with an outside organization called the Women's Foundation of California. They have something called the Women's Policy Institute, which is essentially like every year the Women's Policy Institute proposes um, legislation. Um, Mm -hmm. Like they come up with legislation and they try to essentially make it into a law. So that is how the Policy Institute works. We were able to get connected with the reproductive justice team of the Women's Policy Institute. And then essentially, like, we worked together to see, like, great, this started at UC Berkeley and was trying to affect UC Berkeley. What if we can try to make this actually a statewide bill that affects all the public universities? Which I was just thinking, this is the best finding that I've ever heard of. Like, this, the Cal campaign was unfortunately coming to, like, a dead end. Obviously, we dealt with a lot of punches, rolled with them, and we're doing well. But... at that point with $5 million or, um, on that's what they were requesting. Yeah. I didn't. It's like, that's not going to fucking happen. Yeah. And it's also like, what a waste of money as well. Right. Like, we don't have that money and nor can we get it. So 
yes, we essentially just shifted our campaign from just the local one at Cal to now focusing our efforts on a legislative bill, which was fantastic because it affects every single public university. So, so much better. In the state of California, that is yeah, crazy. Yeah, in the state of California of all places. So this is really exciting. And so I got to help along with a few of the other surge members co-write, co-author the uh, initial bill. Wow. Um, we were able to get a sponsor, Senator Connie Leva. She's still in the Senate, too. She's fantastic. Um, and so, yeah, that is how it shifted from the Cal campaign to just a full-on, like, now legislative campaign. And uh, I suppose um, that went on for <laughs> another two years. So just a timeline of how that went down. Damn. Um, this bill started off as Senate Bill 320, I think introduced in 2017, um, it in 2018, when this is when Governor Jerry Brown, so now we have Gavin Newsom, but this is when Jerry Brown was in his last year of power. So it actually, like, we you know, we made it to, we made it through the entire legislative, um, bodies. So all of that worked out. Um, and then eventually it got to Jerry Brown's desk and he vetoed it. <laughs> no. Oh my God. He vetoed it, um, which was really, really hard for me to deal with because all, you know, like there's 80 different Democratic legislators um, in the vast majority of them, like, you know, said yes. And it was not easy convincing a lot of them too. So um, much hard work. And uh, yeah, Jerry Brown vetoed it. Fortunately, last year, um, so in 2019, um, it was recycled as Senate Bill 24, and it was a much quicker process because it was essentially the same bill and the same legislators were, for the most part, in power as well. And so it got through quickly, and then it got to Gavin Newsom's desk, and fortunately, he uh, did sign it into law. So yeah, only last year in November, it became a law. Which oh is my God, so it like just so happened, and this yeah, started like five years ago. Yeah, no, this really took five years of my life. It's very wow. wild. To see. It went from what it happened at Cal to, you know, every like all 36 public universities in California by 2023 will Whoa. be providing education abortion. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that is a huge deal. Congratulations Thank on you. all of your hard work, like really paying off in three years. Um, you know, I mean, that's crazy, though, because once that happens, then, you know, there's a time for implementation. And then there's a time for, you know, how long that's all going to take. But that is a huge deal. Yeah, it's wild. It's it's surreal. And, um, you know, I just like gave, I think a, a lot of everything I just said was super detailed, but also very, very much like a summary. So yeah. um, of the entire process. So I don't know if you have like, questions about like what it actually looks like in terms of a legislative campaign, happy to, to answer them because there is, there's definitely way more to how that worked Yeah, um, that I oh, just said. Oh my God. I mean, yes, I absolutely do. We're going to have to at some point do like a part two to this episode though, because this is <laughs> so much information. I want to make sure we get time for our other questions that we have. And then absolutely, you know, we'll definitely invite you back because you have a lot to say. You have a lot of experience. Um, and yeah, I'm just yeah, so incredibly that. like proud of, you know, the fact that this happened like through you and others at Cal and now kind of has expanded to 
all public universities in the state of California will provide medication abortion, which is incredible um, and really, really what a challenging thing for you all to have done. So really, really congrats and kudos to you. Thank you. you. Um, Very excited for all future students. Yeah, it's incredible. (laughs) As well. Um, So... Okay, so I'm wondering, so this is only for the state of California, right? And obviously, you're someone who's currently in your parents' home in Oklahoma. So like, <laughs> yes. there are many states that are in need of, of these kinds of bills um, and this kind of advocacy. So I'm wondering from your perspective and from your advocacy experience and from your expertise, um, how can students in other states use Surge as a model to expand abortion access on their campuses? Yeah, absolutely. And this is like a really great question that I don't have necessarily like this one clear answer for. Mm -hmm. But I will say that. So the fact that this was such a challenge, because it definitely wasn't easy. I mean, it got vetoed the first time there were a lot of, um, you know, Democrats in California who were also really apprehensive. I should also note that in terms of the campaign that will add context to like this specific question is that, and this is something I have a qualm with, um, is that this bill that passed in California would not have passed to my understanding, most likely if it were actually like just completely funded by the state. So all of the money that's going to go towards implementation costs, like training of providers um, to to make this a reality is all being privately funded, which is like, you know, great that we have that option, but truly I don't know what the future would have been earlier on if we, we didn't have, Um, private funding as an option and so that also makes me like you know if this in California would not have happened like the political feasibility of it without having a private donor um, or donors I should say um, to to rally behind it and like you know completely secure the bill Mm -hmm. I don't know if even Democrats in California would have been okay with saying or saying yes to, to this and so this is happening in California I like you know I try to think of Something like this that could happen um, in a state like Oklahoma, it sounds like very, very like far-fetched to be like quite frank. Like this is something that I don't think Oklahoma or other southern states um, would be able to do something exactly like this. But that's not to say that this is something that's impossible. It's just kind of acknowledging that like the way that California looks is really different from the way that Oklahoma looks. Um, and the South, but then also kind of like trying to see that even in like a state that is quite liberal, uh, quote unquote, like is still actually kind of conservative when it comes to um, money and expanding mm-hmm. abortion care, which is also really wild to me, um, considering that California, you know, they their Medicaid, their Medi-Cal does cover abortion care and they are very friendly towards Planned Parenthood. But it seems like behind beyond those two like that is something that uh, I guess is too, too progressive because like I said, I don't think it could have passed without, with, um, with public funding completely, which kind of, yeah, that made me think a lot about, okay, what does it mean then to be progressive if we're not down for, um, you know, public funding for this as well. Mm -hmm. So just in terms of like Southern states and states in Oklahoma, I think organizing looks different. So I think like one of the first things is that like in Oklahoma, I don't think you can even get comprehensive reproductive health care, like in terms of just birth control at a student health center. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks so different. I know that there is, for example, in Oklahoma, there is an organization um, called uh, OCRJ, which is, I 
believe stands for um, the Oklahoma Coalition for Reproductive Justice. And they're mostly like what they're focused on is like, is definitely more on a rights-based situation just because Oklahoma keeps like on a state level. And I think this is definitely being mirrored in other conservative states um, are just trying to limit access on a legal level which does seem like one first aspect to be able to even care about other things, which is just expanding access. If you don't even have a right to it, then like, what does that mean? And so what students, like what they can do is I think like they should really center their time on it's one really main big problem is just people don't know even where to go. Like there are places to go to get care in Oklahoma and also other states. But I think that that information is really hard to access. And so something that would, in terms of the limitations that a state like Oklahoma has, is if students organize behind, I think primarily right now around like education campaigns in terms of this is where you can go and here's all the legal information behind how you get care. Um, Having that consolidated information does make a really big difference on someone being able to access it on a timely basis. And there are other organizations like national orgs, like I'm sure you've heard of, um, um, oh, I forgot the exact name, it's slipping my mind, but it's based in Boston, I think, um, abortion funds. So they essentially they like help people pay for an abortion and then yeah. also help them like pay for all the costs that they need to be able to, to get it. So I know there's a- like Yellow Hammer Fund in Alabama. Oh, that's super. So is that something that they do as well a very yes. similar structure yeah they they raise funds um the yellow hammer fund for abortion and they also help pay fees associated travel um anything for people in need okay yeah that sounds really similar to um i think it's called the abortion care network but yes they essentially one of their main things is getting the funding and giving people the funding that they need to get the care mm-hmm. so a lot of these things i think are just even in being involved in the movement, it's like sometimes confusing about like, okay, like what all do you need to know? And so I think that organizing from what I have seen it look like is centered on consolidating the information it has and then also organizing behind um, state advocacy to really, it sucks, (laughs) the lack of a better word, but you know, a bill like this in California is very much like, you know, in, um, it's not a defensive thing. It's not trying to like prevent a bad bill from being passed. Um, it's trying to progress it, but mm-hmm. unfortunately in Oklahoma, the, a lot of the advocacy is behind, uh, um, just preventing really terrible defensive. bills. Yeah. And, uh, that is something that I've also been thinking about, like, how do we, how can the South and Midwest like get out of that? Like, what does that mean? What does that take? And I think that essentially means like, I think changes would have to be made on a federal level. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on too. Um, I mean, the fact that like Roe v. Wade makes it ambiguous where like states can put restrictions is like right. why there is such a this this issue just has never died. Like mm-hmm. this will, it has been continuing. And then obviously with the Supreme Court and all of that, yeah, we have even we're, more. We're in deep shit with the Supreme <laughs> Court. There's really nothing we can do about that until someone retires or dies. Um, so that's unfortunate. Um, but I yeah. mean, I don't know. There have been a lot of times when I've like been surprised I mean like especially with like the recent like Harvey Weinstein stuff like you think you know like ah, oh, those people who are yeah. in power are corrupt and he got 23 years in prison so like that guy and he also tested positive for corona so well, <laughs> I didn't know that fucking comes around I guess um but 
<laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I agree. I think it's it's really hard to tell, but I do agree. I mean, I think that's a really good point in that, like, you know, all of this is kind of going to keep waffling, especially in southern states when there are really harsh right-wing, you know, people in power. But if there was a federal bill, um, you know, that said, you know, all these states don't really have power to change if, when, and how women and people who need access to abortion um, can get one, that would look really different than how it looks now. Absolutely. And then the other thought that I just had was that I think one thing, this is my like theory that would also help, I think, on in terms of changing, I think, at least stigma, because stigma is definitely part of the cycle, obviously, that makes it um, uh, legal, like why there are legal barriers and bills that are trying to restrict abortion keep, you know, thriving and getting like mm-hmm. very far in legislatures and um, more conservative or not friendly towards abortion states is that I think that part of the stigma that keeps staying alive with abortion is that it's constantly being forced. And this was also the issue in California is that, you know, clinics like primary healthcare clinics don't want to provide it. And so it's always kind of like segregated to its own abortion clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that if abortion were also integrated within, you know, quote unquote, non-controversial primary health care services, because it is a primary health care service, I think that would also help with changing the public perception of it. If, you know, you can go one clinic or one hospital and know that you can get like, you know, um, something as simple as like a flu. I mean, I obviously like maybe the flu vaccine could also be controversial to some people but you know <laughs> what I mean um like a, like a vaccination and then also um be able to get like an abortion at the same place is really wild I think and so I wish that just on a lower level um or in terms of like who runs health clinics um in healthcare administration if they like started actually you know being a little more brave and just allowing their own like health centers and hospitals to provide abortion care within within like a primary health care setting, I think that would help because the I think one large issue behind like all of these you know the trap laws the targeted regular I should really know what that acronym stands for. <laughs> I also don't know what it's. I think for. it's targeted regulation of abortion providers. So trap laws is the acronym, um, and so like states like Texas, for example, they like make specific laws to just target abortion clinics. Um, and so targeted regulation of aborted providers. Okay. Okay. I figured that was it. So like in Texas, for example, like whole woman's health versus Hellerstead, this was a few years ago. The entire reason why that went to the Supreme court was that Texas passed a law that made it so that abortion clinics would have to have the same standards as like an emergency, um, like ER, which is absolutely unnecessary, but because of it, um, like made almost every single clinic except maybe a few shut down. And so, that's why it went to the Supreme Court. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, if abortion clinics just weren't standalone abortion clinics, but actually able to um, be integrated into, again, primary healthcare clinics or other hospitals, I think that that would change the way that the law can try to attack clinics because it's like, we're not just an abortion clinic. We're integrated right. within our reg- quote unquote regular healthcare setting. Mm-hmm. So I would like to think that that would do something in terms of lowering this game of playing defense all the time um when the law can't just like target you specifically but then also i think on an implicit level if people consistently see like oh i can go to one place um you know for primary care but also get an option there i'd like to think that 
that is something that can change things as well. And perhaps, I don't know what that exactly looks like, what that looks like, but organizing on trying to like just get help administrators, like please start doing some. I don't know what that looks like. Obviously, this is definitely more difficult. No, this is great though. But I think that that is, I haven't really seen organizing behind that level. I don't know what that looks like exactly on a, in, in terms of st- strategy in a more conservative state. But I'd imagine that perhaps if young people, students, whoever is involved, who cares, um, actually like push behind getting these clinics to provide abortion, um, that would also help. So that's something I was thinking about. Um, Yes. We unfortunately only have time for one more question. (laughs) Okay. Um, All right. (laughs) I have really, really enjoyed chatting with you, but I would love to know what is next for you in the fight for abortion access in terms of, you know, your journey with Cal is now over. And finally, you know, um, in 2023, right, this bill will be implemented across California. Yeah, every single campus, you know, by law should be mm-hmm. <laughs> providing it so, by so, then. So amazing. So what what's on the horizon for you personally in terms of fighting for abortion access professionally um, in the next couple of years? What do you hope to be uh, working on? Yeah, yeah. So this, um, so what I have a uh, been thinking in terms of my recent post-grad life and like what I want to do moving forward in my career is that like as I said in the beginning I identify as a reproductive justice activist but I was thinking about actually trying to at least in the near future I'm not exactly sure what exactly are all the ways that I want to advocate for abortion access but actually in terms of a more implicit manner so something that I've learned about being part of the reproductive rights and justice world is that obviously as like a huge theme of what I was talking about is that the law is never enough. It's like necessary, but it's not sufficient in someone getting care. Right. And so the ways that I want to move forward is um, I love to organize. I want to continue doing that, but I was thinking of uh, putting myself um, in organizing positions for either, whether if it's like a campaign for like electoral politics, that's like one way to do it. But in terms of like, what can I do? How can I organize to get people who need abortions, um, like the all the other means to be able to access it on an easy means? So like getting an abortion when you obviously you have more money or in a specific location, like is definitely easier. And so trying to take away like those barriers. So things like just, you know, having like economic security and like housing security and then job security are three things that I think that as we like all know, definitely affects your ability to get any type of health care. Mm-hmm. Um, including abortion. And so things that I want to do moving forward are focusing um, on organizing in those spaces, because obviously if people have that, their ability to get access, even in a state that is definitely more limited, like Oklahoma, um, you could still get it. It's definitely going to be hard, but if you have those factors, it makes the ability to get it a million times more easy. So yeah, it's more in an implicit manner, um, but it is definitely still in, embedded in, like, those things allow people to be able to get abortion care. So that is what I am That's trying to plan. do. That's, That's your plan. That's what you're doing. Um, incredible. Well, Adiba, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And if you could share kind of, like, one line of advice for those who want to be participating or contributing to this work, um, or, you know, for those of us who have maybe like lost hope in hard or challenging <laughs> times, like what kinds of yeah. words of inspo would you give people listening? 
Yeah, absolutely. So definitely, I like feel the vibe of, especially with their current um, administration, particularly in the realm of repro rights and justice, that um, there's a, definitely like a level of hopelessness, which I see is valid. But I'd also like to, I suppose, m- mention that uh, just the fight for access to abortion care and reproductive health care in general has never been an easy one. And mm-hmm. I don't think it will quite be one and so the fact that um i mean since like the 70s i guess we got our legal right um but it's never been quite easy and so we are going to definitely have these obstacles but um learning just from in california being on that campaign um like that people have power especially when they organize in a collective unit um and push for things uh, um regardless of i think how awful um the people in power currently are. And so I'd like to, I guess, give that reminder. And then also to, um, you know, the only reason that things are able to get done is when, again, like I'm really much for organizing behind causes. Um, so yes, that is my inspirational advice that like things can definitely change. Um, but it definitely takes, um, you know, a lot of time and uh, people down to organize with each other. So that is, my one um, last line of inspiration, and then one more thing is that um, <laughs> my one more is that um, as like a college student, I didn't feel like I had so much power um, in terms of my activism or like, you know, I think people also tell like, young people they don't have power. And so particularly like at young people, um, I really want to reinforce like that is absolutely not true. Young people have, again, a lot of power when they are collective in their aspirations and can definitely like, um, you know, fuck some shit up. So like, again, have a law in California. Um, and that was, again, propelled by young folks. So anyway, I know we're almost basically out of time, but that is my last line of inspo. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. It was really exciting to be here. Sex Ed with DB is supported by Pandia Health, the only doctor-led birth control delivery company. Here are some fun facts about Pandia Health. Most birth control is free with insurance or $15 per pack without. Your birth control comes with free delivery and free goodies. And you can get an online doctor visit if you need it, which is perfect during COVID-19. Go to PandiaHealth.com. That's P-A-N-D-I-A health.com and use code sexeddb to get $5 off your first telehealth appointment. Need a new vibrator? Meet FemFun. With an innovative approach to research and design, FemFun always strives to create products that truly fit all bodies and desires. Not all orgasms are created equally. But with over 20 unique items to choose from, the possibilities are endless. Use promo code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your purchase at www.femfun.com. That's www.femmefunn.com. And don't forget to follow them on Instagram, at femfun. Isle is a woman-owned, social mission-driven business based in Vancouver, Canada. Their goal is to help people have better periods through knowing their bodies and making positive choices. Each of their reusable pads replaces 150 disposables. Check out all of their amazing period products at www.periodisle.com and use promo code SEXEDDB to get 20% off your first purchase. 
Follow them on Instagram at period aisle. Ever look at your penis or vulva in the mirror and be like, damn, my part is art. Clona Willie definitely agrees. The original penis casting kit, Clona Willie and the classy counterpart, Clona Pussy, are easy to make, sex positive, and body safe. While Clona Willie makes for the most personalized sex toy on the planet, Clona Pussy makes for the most unique memento. All materials are 100% body safe, extremely high quality, and easy to use and clean. Check them out at www.clonawilly.com and use promo code SEXED20 for 20% off your purchase. Follow them on Instagram at clonawillykit. Our creator, co-producer, sound engineer, and host is me, Danielle Bezalel, aka DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Katherine Cohen. Our main logo and banner graphic were created by Andrea Forgotch. Our social media intern is Leslie Lopez. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Our ad music is by my stepdad, Bill Gant. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. If you're interested in advertising with us, email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more Sex Ed content, follow us on Insta at sexedwithdbpodcast. Tune in next time.